Our scripture this morning um, comes from three different places. The first uh, is Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, uh, the first nine verses, um, and then from the Gospel of Mark, and then from Second Timothy. Listen for God's word this morning. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live, by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. From the Gospel of Mark, the 10th chapter, beginning with the 13th verse. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms placed his hands on them, and blessed them. And then from 2 Timothy, the first chapter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did, with the clear conscience as night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois, and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives also in you. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For the Spirit of God gave us for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Gracious God, pour out your spirit upon me and upon all those that are gathered here. Open our hearts and our ears and our minds that we would hear the message that you would have us to hear in this place at this moment in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What is the greatest story ever told? The greatest story ever told. Is it Moby Dick? How many of you have read Moby Dick? Oh, good. 
How about the Iliad or the Odyssey from Greek mythology? Or the Old Man and the Sea? Or perhaps Wuthering Heights, Hamlet? Or the Adventures of Huckleberry Finn? Or how about 1984? How many of you read that one? That's a weird book. Or the Lord of the Rings? How many of you have read all the way through the Lord of the Rings? Great. Or Harry Potter? I've read all those. The list could go on and on and on with great stories. Have you ever thought, though, about why are these stories told over and over again? Are they boring? Probably not. Are they exciting? Yeah, they're really exciting. Stories are told and retold, most likely because they include action and adventure, romance and rebellion, loyalty and betrayal. And maybe even here and there, somebody will get what's coming to them. Stories need to include things that will entice the listeners to pay attention, to listen longer. Stories are significant, and I think life without stories would be pretty boring. We are part of a story, a very good story, a very old story, a very long story a story that is still being written. I would call our story the greatest story ever told. Why? Because not only is there action and adventure, there's romance and rebellion, there's loyalty and betrayal. This story never gets old. It just keeps on getting more and more exciting as it goes on. In fact, it is still being told today. It's our story. It's the story of our faith. It all began once upon a time in a faraway land called Ur with a man there named Abram, who was chosen by God to pick up and move his family to a new land. And he did. And God blessed him, and God changed his name, and God created an entire nation from Abram. The story continues on with the people of Israel. That was the nation that God created. And then it continues on with Jesus and then with our stories. One of the central stories of faith is the story of the Exodus. Some of you might remember that one. It's a story about a man named Moses who was called by God to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt. They had been in slavery for 400 years and had been praying for a deliverer. The only way out, though, was through a big, wide desert. God had promised them a special land. All they had to do was just get there. The story is a long one. The Hebrew people make some bad decisions along the way, and they end up getting lost in the big, wide desert. And not just a day or two. They got lost for 40 years. It wasn't all bad, though, because they got the Ten Commandments out of the deal. And they also got one of the greatest lessons in Scripture, in my opinion. It's called the Great Commandment. You might have heard it before. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. Keep these words that I'm commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you're at home and when you are away. 
when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign upon your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gates. This command is called the Shema. There it is. I know it looks like a whole bunch of gobbledygook to you, but that is the ancient Hebrew, Shema. And if you look at the word in the top right-hand corner, it reads this way, but trust me, it's the word in the top right-hand corner. Shema is the first word in this commandment. It's also the most important word. It's a forceful word. It's meant for people to sit up and take notice. Shema means hear, obey. So when God gave this commandment to Shema, God didn't just say, Shema, if you feel like it. It was more like, Shema, hear, obey, do this, pay attention, sit up, listen. This is something you have to do. It's one of those imperative commands. It's a very, very strong word, and it means that you have to do this. It wasn't an option. This command was central in the lives of the Hebrew people. It wasn't just to be something that they read once or heard once and then just forgot. It's foundational to their very lives. The Hebrew people were commanded to make these words a part of their very being. They were to keep them at the forefront of their mind at all times, to teach these words to their children and talk about them all the time. They were to remember these words by putting them on their homes and by wearing them. First, they were to give themselves completely to God. Shema, the Lord, with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. The force of the word strength actually can be translated guts, right? So you know when you have that feeling in the pit of your stomach and there's a knot, that is the kind of force that you're supposed to be giving yourself to God with, your entire being. And then you're supposed to teach these words to your children to pass it on to the next generation in order that their children would come to embrace Shema as their own and in turn teach their children and their children and their children. The whole book of Deuteronomy where Shema is found is focused on teaching children, teaching the next generation. Throughout the book, stories are told about the past and then about the present, all the while trying to teach children about the importance of having faith in God so that faith can be passed on, so that children would discover faith for themselves, so that the story would continue. We, too, are concerned about the next generation, aren't we? We, too, just like the people of Israel, want our children to have faith of their own, to be able to pass on that faith to their children and their children's children for generations, to pass on the story. So how is the story passed on? By telling and showing and learning and doing, both in our homes and in our community, for the Israelites, the story was told and discussed and learned in the home, around the table as they ate, during worship that they had as their family. In her book, Making a Home for Faith, which I highly recommend, Elizabeth Caldwell says that the best 
teachers of the story of faith are parents. They're parents. And I agree with her wholeheartedly. Parents are the greatest teachers because they get to spend the most time with their children. And in all of that time spent together, parents are constantly modeling the behaviors and traits and values they want their kids to embrace. I mean, don't we do this? You know, don't hit, please share, don't, you know, have bad manners at the table. We're constantly modeling how we want our children to be formed. One of the best things that parents can do is to model how to live out faith. Our kids are always watching us, aren't they? So let us show them how important faith is. We can tell our still children the stories of faith at home and show them what having faith looks like. We can tell stories during family dinner or on family walks. Even during chore time, like cleaning up toys or folding laundry or cleaning, we can talk about stories of faith. By talking about our faith so often, we're telling our children that talking about faith is a normal thing. This is what people do. It is okay to talk about our faith. It's normal. And by talking about our faith, we're showing children how important it is to us, and they'll get it it'll be, start to become important to them, too. Children also learn the story of faith from community of believers, from their community of faith. They learn faith from you, because you promised you would show them when they were baptized. They learn it from you. They learn from those who are gifted in teaching. Sunday school right now is going on, all those kids in the classroom over there. They're gifted people teaching about faith. They learn during youth group. They learn during children's time. They learn during play. They learn during crap time. They learn during vacation Bible school. I don't know if you've noticed, but we've been um, peeking in on Mary's house. That's what this is. It's a set that was designed by Stacy Essery. Remember her a couple of weeks ago sharing in the give spot? This is what Stacy does. It's amazing. Um, but we are having vacation Bible school because we think it's so important that we're going to open up this church to children this week to come and learn about Jesus and about his life. This year's theme is Hometown Nazareth, where Jesus was a kid. Each day teaches about an aspect of Jesus' life when he was a boy. Jesus had a family. Jesus had a name. He had a home. Jesus went to church, to temple, and Jesus served others. And we do too. That's the theme. We do too. So imagine the 260 kids that are coming shouting, we do too. And the 100 volunteers that are coming, we do too. It's going to be amazing. We've been preparing for this week for the last six months or so, but the last two or three weeks, though, have been really crazy. Okay, crazy doesn't, there's just a new level of crazy that goes into preparing Vacation Bible School. We have so many kids coming that I ran out of t-shirts. So I called up the t-shirt guy and I said, can I have some more t-shirts? And he was like, it's going to push your order back a whole day. I said, that's okay. I'm out of those. Kids just keep signing up. And it's wonderful. So it's been so crazy that we've just had to remind ourselves to stay calm. Stay calm. And VBS on. 
I don't know if you've walked by my office, but we've had this image posted around because we just have to keep reminding ourselves everything will get done. Everything will get done. It's going to be okay because we're not doing this for ourselves. I mean, this whole thing isn't for me. It's for the kids to come to a place where they belong, where they're loved, where they're welcomed, and they're going to learn about Jesus when he was their age. Yeah, Jesus was a boy once, just like you. We want these kids to learn about Jesus. We want them to claim that faith as their own. We want them to claim it and make it part of their lives so that when it's their turn, they can pass on the story too. We want them to become part of the story, part of Abraham's story, part of Jesus' story, part of our story. The great commandment, Shema, says, teach the children. And the Hebrew people did. And I think we're doing that here, too. We are teaching our children. We're creating a place where the story of faith is told and shared and lived and experienced, where children can come and feel like they belong, where they're loved and they're welcomed, and we're excited that they're here. We are passing on the story this very day. We're continuing to write new chapters as God moves in us and through us. We are becoming this wonderful story. We are talking about our faith, and we are showing our children just how important faith is. What is the greatest story? It's ours. It's the story of our faith. And let us never, never Never stop striving to impress upon and teach our children this very, very wonderful story. Amen.